I know this, Jesus Christ came to set captives free. And he came to help the brokenhearted. And he came to meet people at the point of their need. And all of that is because of the power of the resurrection. If it were not for the resurrection, everything that happens to us in life would cut our feet out from under us. We would be broken and destroyed and helpless and inept, unable to face the crisis of life. And so as we're in this series on Unshakable leading up to our refreshed theme of Unshakable, when you study the scriptures, there's a foundational truth of resurrection. We're in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at a lot of Luke chapter 24, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel in the New Testament. He focuses on the resurrection in Luke 24. The virgin birth is covered in the gospels, but when you get to the sermons and acts, and when you get to the epistles of Peter, Paul, and, and James, and John, not the, not the Beatles, uh, but uh, there's four guys, but uh, when you get to the, the epistles, they're focused on the truth of the resurrection. What the resurrection means to us and what the resurrection does for us. Now the Greeks did not believe in resurrection. The Jews thought that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. But Paul takes a whole chapter in Corinthians and says if there is no resurrection, our faith is in vain. In other words, we have no reason to have any hope. We have no reason to have any joy. We have no reason to celebrate. If there's no resurrection, we've got a dead religious leader like all the other religions of the world have. What makes us different is a resurrected Christ. It is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in chapter 23, he focuses on the death. And in chapter 24, he focuses on the resurrection. Luke is not just writing a scattered letter, trying to pull together a bunch of stories. He has a specific purpose in mind in his writing. In fact, if you would just write by Luke 24, Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, because he wrote both books, in Acts 1-3 it says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now Luke mentions many convincing proofs, but in Luke 24 he just decides all I need is three. I could tell you a lot of stories about what Jesus did in those 40 days, but all I need is these three stories to answer any question you have about the resurrection of Jesus or to hit you at any point. And every one of us in this room are going to find ourselves in one of these three stories. You're going to identify with one of these three. You're going to see that it's in one of these three that you are having trouble with believing in the power of the resurrection and you're going to see how to get out of that. So let's look at where's the evidence. And you see in your notes, each of these three stories follow the same formula. 
Now, instead of just reading all of that, let me give you three key words. On number one, they were confused. They're confused. All three accounts, the people that Jesus appears to, are confused. They're confused and concerned. And the second point, Jesus or these angels in the first one show up to correct I'm going to correct your thinking. You're thinking the wrong way. And so Jesus or the two angels show up to correct. And in the third one, they get courage. They've gone from confusion to courage. Why? Because they got their thinking right. Their thinking got corrected. So let's look at the visit to the empty tomb. Verse 1 of Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, that's Easter Sunday, first Easter, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed, confused about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, these angels, said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. In other words, the angels are saying, What are you doing here? What are you doing here? He's not here. He's risen. And what do the angels do? Look at verse 6. They go back to what Jesus told them. He is not here, but he is risen. And you can underline the word, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. What do they need to remember? They need to remember what they forgot. When we get in trouble in our lives is when we forget what we were supposed to remember. I mean, I pulled that on my mom a lot of times when I was growing up. Don't try to pull it on God. I don't know, Mom, I forgot. Why didn't you take the garbage out? I forgot. Well, it, 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 the dog is running from the garbage. It smells so bad. Why didn't you take I forgot. You didn't forget. You just didn't want to do it. Remember. It's a key word. Secondly, Christ's visit on the road to Emmaus. Now, this is the longest account in Luke's gospel. Verse 13 and behold, two of them were going that very day to the village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were, notice, talking with each other. That's important. You'll see it in just a minute. About all these things that have taken place. This is still Easter Sunday. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with him. They're confused. Jesus shows up, they're talking about the past. Jesus is there in the present, they don't even recognize him. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, and he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? Now that's a dumb question to ask Jesus. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Can I just remind you 
Jesus was totally aware of the things that had happened in those days. Those days were about him. He was totally aware of it. And he said to them, what things? Now don't ever ask Jesus a dumb question because he may ask you one back. What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word and in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. And they said, verse 21, but we were hoping. Hoping in what? They had forgotten to remember the facts of what Jesus had said. We were hoping. Your hope has to be built on facts, not feelings. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. Now, what did Jesus say? I'm going to rise on the third day. I mean, he, he keeps dropping clues. He just keeps dropping clues. And they're just, huh? They don't get it. They've forgotten. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find the body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now they should have thought right there, hmm, he said he's going to rise on the third day. Maybe that's what's happened. Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had also said, but him they did not see. And he, that being Jesus, said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They were confused. They were bewildered. Jesus corrected them. He began to explain to them, to remind them what he had been talking about for three years, pointing them toward the death on the cross and the resurrection. These people were not biblically illiterate. They knew their Bibles, but they missed making the dot connections, and he rebukes them and begins to teach them. Then they head back to Jerusalem to go find the disciples. Verse 32, and they said to one another, were not our hearts burned within us while he was speaking, there's a key word, to us on the road, and he was explaining, there's another key word, the scriptures to us, and they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen. Duh. The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Don't be surprised when God does what he says he will do. They were surprised that God did, that Christ did what he said he would do. Don't be surprised. Don't be shaken when God is true to his word. The disciples are now in the upper room, verse 36. These two have come back. They've told them, and while they were telling these things, he himself, that's Jesus, stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. I mean, they couldn't believe their eyes. Now, these are the people that have traveled with Jesus for three years. 
These are the people that have seen him arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. These are the people that know he has been crucified. These are the people that know he has been laid in a tomb. These are the people that also know that he said on the third day he would rise. And they're startled. They're startled. Why is it we're surprised when God does what he says he will do? It's because we don't remember. Because we forget. Verse 38, And he said to them, two wise, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch and see, for the Spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. It's interesting in verses 41 and following, he asked for food to eat. Now why would Luke include that? To prove that he wasn't a ghost. To prove that he wasn't a ghost. So he ate food. They watched him eat this food. This resurrected Christ, who is a picture of what we will one day be when we are resurrected with Christ, he eats food. Now he's rebuked them, he's corrected them in verse 38. Now he instructs them, verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And I could just use my sanctified imagination and watch Peter elbowing somebody and said, I knew it all along. I, I knew it all along. I just didn't want to be smarter than the rest of you guys. I, I knew it all along. Jesus is looking at all of them, and he said, Remember, lights on. Hello, it's me. You shouldn't be surprised. Must be a room full of Baptists up here. Don't believe in the resurrection. Not sure the Holy Spirit's going to come. And While I was with you, and all the things that were written, where? About me. In the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then, they, then he opened their minds, big word, to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Then he gives them an assignment. And they have courage to act on it. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. You are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We see this in Luke 24. We see this in the end of the book of Matthew. And we see this in the first chapter of Acts. They're to go and wait. Now notice what Jesus did on Sunday. You get up on Sunday. You, on Saturday night, you decide, hmm, am I going to church today or not? Notice what Jesus did on Sunday. Notice what the resurrected Christ did on Sunday. Well, we know one thing he didn't do. He didn't go to Chick-fil-A because it's closed on Sunday. <laughs> but he was there Monday morning. First of all, he found other believers to be with. He found other believers to be with. Jesus didn't just go out and get on a mountain and say, Father, I did it. It's done. It's great. It's glorious. Woohoo! Hallelujah. He went and found other believers. 
What kind of believers did he go find? Believers that were discouraged and defeated and distressed and needed chains broken in their lives. He found believers that were hurting. All of them were hurting, and he shows up. Secondly, he opened the scriptures to them. He preaches to them. He opens the scripture to them, all that the prophets had said, and then there was a visible response. Basically, he gave an invitation and said, now that you know, now that your eyes are open, now that you remember, the altars are open for you to respond and pray and then go do what I've told you to do. So that when you leave, you don't leave the way you came. When you see that I'm really resurrected, that I really have power, when you understand that, you don't leave the way you came in because you've seen me in a new way. And you remember and understand the scriptures. This is vital for us. Because while we have experiences, we need the authority of the word of God. When we share the gospel, we can share our story about what Christ did in our lives. But what they really need to see is that the Bible says these things. That there is a book that is authoritative. Every decline in evangelism, every sign of a need for revival happens when we abandon and forsake and stray from the Word of God. Every false teaching, every heresy, every cult group rises up when we abandon the Word of God as absolute truth. We live in a world where there is no absolute truth anymore. If what's right for you may not be right for me, but we're both right. Listen, you can't both be right. Your right may be wrong. How do we measure right? The plumb line is the Word of God. The Word of God, we measure our lives by the Word of God. We don't measure the Word of God by our lives and say, well, I think and I feel and I believe. Well, where is it in the Word? You, you see, one of the reasons that we're in the mess we're in in this country, one of the reasons that a hundred churches will close their doors today and not reopen one of the reasons that we're giving money to plant churches in cities where the church abandoned the cities in the 50s and 60s and moved to the suburbs, one of the reasons we're in the middle of all of that is because for decades we had a lot of preaching that was not biblical. It was topical. It was, here's 27 ways to treat your dog better and 13 ways to have a good day, but nobody opened the Bible. I've been to churches where nobody opened a Bible. So the guy could have said anything. Said, you know, Jesus said, God helps those that help themselves. And they go, amen. Jesus didn't say that. But people believe something Zig Ziglar said are actually in the book of Proverbs. And some people believe the jokes in Reader's Digest are actually in Ecclesiastes. Because also guys got to do say, you know, the Bible, I was reading the Bible the other day, and then just start telling the story, and they go, mm, 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 he is deep. That guy couldn't drown in a sink. Not deep. 
And when the church is biblically illiterate, you put it at the feet of the pastor that is not teaching the Word of God to the people, and many believers are just looking for a spiritual high. Make me feel good. Make me laugh. Make me enjoy life. Make me feel better. i got an itch right here. Scratch me right there where I itch. i got, got a little itch right there. But you're never going to have an unshakable faith. I'm never going to have an unshakable faith unless it is grounded on the solid rock of the Word of God. We come to church to remember. Because all during the week, the world is telling us, forget about that. That doesn't work. You realize this 2019, that might have been good for your grandmother, but that doesn't work anymore. Hey, I'm here to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, it still works. It's still true. God has spoken, He has not stuttered, and there's not one verse in the Bible, there's not one promise in the Bible says, until we reach a certain point, and then that's not going to work anymore. The Word of God is true, and it is powerful. Why does it matter? It matters because the disciples were afraid when the angels appeared. The disciples on the road were bewildered, and the disciples in the upper room were startled and frightened. Their problem is our problem. Why is their problem our problem? First of all, they didn't listen. They didn't listen. Now, I'm like the old Scottish guy who heard a noise in his barn. I would not harm thee for the world, but I am about to shoot where thou standest. They didn't listen. Listen, if you're checking Facebook, you hadn't heard a word I said. If you're trying to see how many likes you got on your Twitter account during church, if you come in and sit down in here and you're just scrolling through Facebook before the service starts, you've already given the devil a foothold in your life that you won't hear a word and you will walk out the same and you say, I don't know why we go to church. It's never any good. Listen, it's because Facebook is your God. And Twitter is your God. And Checking your likes and your posts is more important to you than hearing from you. They didn't listen. And every time somebody gets up and moves in church, half the room goes, All my life I've never seen anybody in a room get up and move. This is unbelievable. Honey, look. Somebody's in a crowd. And they're moving. Hey, you're watching a football game. This tells you where your God is. You're watching a football game, and your team's got the ball on the three-yard line, and they're about to score, and it's fourth down, and they're going for it, and 30 people get up and leave and move. I guarantee you, you're not saying, well, I hope Coach calls timeout. I really want to watch these people go up the stairs to the bathroom. It must be a great bathroom to leave at a time like this. Maybe we should all get up and go to the bathroom because it must be such a great bathroom. I've been to those stadiums. They're not great bathrooms. They didn't listen. Second thing is, they didn't remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And so when somebody says, well, I'm going to talk about the resurrection, or I'm going to talk about the prodigal son, or I'm going to talk about the lame man, or I'm going to talk about this, we, we just kind of, kind of turn the switch into neutral, and we say, I already know that. 
I already know that. I've heard that before. They didn't remember. That's why in every one of these three accounts, you see, remember. Remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus spoke while He was here with you? Remember what I told you I would do? Remember what the law and the prophets said? Remember, remember, remember. Howard Hendricks had one of the greatest statements ever spoken. We are responsible not only for what we hear, but for what we would have heard if we had been listening. We're responsible not only for what we hear, but what we would have heard if we had been listening. Listen, I don't want to scare you, but there's going to come a day when you are going to give an account of your works, not of your salvation, but of your works before Christ And he's going to ask you about some sermons that you didn't listen to. You say, he's going to say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you ever share the gospel with anybody? I don't know. How many sermons did you hear? Here's the tally board right here. Here's how many times you heard you're supposed to share your faith. You see, there's an accountability coming. We're not just going to get to heaven and God forgives our sins, but we are accountable for the works we do in the body. And we are to remember so we don't forget. Look, verse 6, chapter 24. Remember, verse 8. And they remembered, verse 21. But we were hoping. We don't hope and just hope. We have a no-so salvation. Verse 38, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Verse 44, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. These disciples didn't connect the dots. And yet we have an undeniable fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, people have tried to destroy the thought. They've tried to say that it didn't happen. It's not real but nobody has been able to disprove it. The most important thing about the resurrection is before Jesus said it, the Old Testament predicted it. It was predicted in the word before it was done in deed. The best news the world has ever heard came from a graveyard, an empty tomb. Spurgeon said the resurrection is a fact better attested than any event recorded in any history, whether ancient or modern. James Stewart said Christianity is essential, is essentially a religion of resurrection. Essentially a religion of resurrection. So what did the early church preach? They preached the resurrection. They went, they prayed, they worshiped, they prayed, they served widows, but they went out and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the evidence of the resurrection? There are three things. First of all, the scriptures declare it. The scriptures declare it. Secondly, the saints proclaim it. The saints proclaim it. And thirdly, the Spirit convicts the lost of sin. The Scriptures declare the resurrection. The saints proclaim the resurrection. That's been going on since Pentecost. And the Spirit, for the last 2,000 years, 
uses us as his instruments to convict the lost of sin. Think about it. The two angels asked the women, why were they looking for a man who was alive in a grave? If we study the scriptures it, like it's just a dead book of interesting stories, of historical stories, if we come to church the same way we go to a funeral, then we aren't living in the resurrection power of Jesus. I mean, if, if we approach the word like, okay, Lord, I speak to me. But don't upset my apple cart. If we come to church and we don't want anything to... I mean, if, on, if we're wearing underneath everything a t-shirt that says, do not disturb, we're not going to get anything out of it. And if God can't disturb you, then he can't help you when the foundations start to crumble. God has to disturb us to show us that when we are disturbed, He is stable. Our stability is not in finding other people. Our stability is in going to Christ and saying, God, I'm wobbly. My knees are wobbly. I'm distressed. I'm disturbed. I I I'm going nuts. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to think. I don't know what to feel. And God says, I've got resurrection power for you. Think about it. The three disciples, the, the two disciples, going to Emmaus. Okay? Jerusalem's over there. Let's just say. Jerusalem's over there in the horn section. What are they doing? Walking the wrong way. Well, if Jesus is resurrected, where is he, where is he going to be? He's going to be in Jerusalem. What are they doing? They're walking in the wrong direction. What do they do when they realize? You know why they realize? You know what they did when it, they, they returned? Oh, we need to go over here. Now, in my sanctified imagination, I just see Jesus going, Oh, golly. Oh. Oh. I got to go seven miles to go catch these two knuckleheads. They're walking in the wrong direction, going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. Get over here! Go back there! Yes, sir. Why do they return? Because Jesus had to run them down. They're going in the wrong direction. They went to the tomb, they went to the wrong place. It's empty. Jesus is not going to be there. They're going in the wrong direction. You think about it. When Jesus empowered them, he gave them unshakable faith to go out and share the gospel. So let me ask you a question. Gosh, it brings to mind an old song. Who do you know is looking for love in all the wrong places? I mean, the love they're looking for is in Jesus. But they're trying everything else in the world, looking for love in all the wrong places. Who, who do you know that's, that, that's backslidden 
And they used to love the Lord, but something happened in their life. They got mad at God. They got mad at the church. They got mad at the preacher. They got mad at everybody. And they're just walking around mad. And they're walking in the wrong direction. And rather than going back to Christ and saying, Christ, I realize I'm going in the wrong direction. They're going in the wrong direction. So which one of us goes and finds them and says, look, the unshakable truth of the resurrection is bigger than whatever it is that's keeping you from walking in the victory of that resurrection. That is victory and power in the resurrection. You're walking over here in your flesh and in defeat and you're stepping on your lip and you're just talking about you're perplexed and Jesus is going to have to find you or let me just help you find him. Who do you know that's lost? And they're just walking in circles. They're just walking in circles. I mean, they try this, they try that. They, they think, well, I'll be happy if I get a new house. I'll get, be happy if I get a new car. I'll be happy if I go shopping. I'll be happy if I can make my minimum payment on my credit card that I've already put too much on. Uh, I'll be happy if I get a job. I'll be happy if I get a raise. Uh, I'll be happy if I get another job. I'll be happy if I got another wife or got another husband. I'll be happy if my kids would leave me alone. I'll be happy if my kids would just put their clothes in the dirty clothes hamper. I'd be happy with anything. I'd be happy if my job was better. I'd be happy if my boss said nice things to me. I'd be happy if I got this, if I got that. None of that stuff ultimately makes you happy. Because when you and I come to the end of life, we can't take any of that stuff with us. We can't take it with us. So it's not going to make us happy. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's the one in your family, at your work, at your, at your uh, business, at your school, in your neighborhood? Who, who's your one that needs to know that Christ died and rose again so that they could have life and forgiveness of sin and grace and mercy? Who's your one that needs to know that? Are you going to tell them? Are you going to stand in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and tell them what he can do for them? Now, in just a moment, the choir is going to sing a song that, unfortunately, we have only limited in the last 40 years to funerals. The only time we ever sing it. Did you sing because he lives at the funeral? Yes, we can. But it's not a funeral song. It's a resurrection song. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. And because he lives, I, you, can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know. What do you know? I listened and I remembered. Because I know who holds the future. And life, life, not existence. Life is worth the living. Just. Because he lives. If you need Jesus today, 
stand up. Let's all stand. You step down and you come and you find Jesus today. If you need to come and pray for your one, you come to this altar and pray for your one. They're going to sing. You pray. You come right now.